All right, so I got something today that I think that anybody can get something out of, whether you've, whatever your walk is with God, even if you don't have one at all. I think today that you can benefit from this lesson. And uh, we're going to have a lot of building blocks to it today to really lay down a strong foundation so we can see how this really fits into our world and what God has for us. And uh, so let's just go ahead and start with Proverbs 18 and 21 to get us started. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. That they love it shall eat the fruit thereof. So uh, when I was looking for Scripture to guide us on this journey, I found, I believe, 97 different verses or clusters of verses that went along with what we say, with our, our speech. And so that is a lesson to us that when God puts something down multiple times, he's really trying to lay down a point. And when we're approaching the hundred individual lessons, individual scriptures, that's quite a bit of something we need to take and look at. So I picked that one. That one, that one speaked it to me, and I think it really has some impact on them when we talk about life and death. And uh, so, like I said, there's many more that we could look at, but for time-wise, we're going to have to cover a lot of ground today. We're not going to go with them one by one. We get the point. So, we have to start in the beginning. And we just, not too long ago, we just talked about Adam and Eve and one of the points that I made was, is that whenever God formed Adam and Eve, he did it differently than he did everything else. Because he was real hands-on with that. He actually took Adam, formed him out of the earth, and he breathed life into him. Then he took Eve from Adam's rib, pulled him from the side, breathed life into her. But everything else prior to that, he spoke into existence. He said, let there be light, and there was. Everything that he created, he spoke into existence. And why is that important? Also, in that cluster of in the beginning, when we talk about the formation of man, God tells us that he made mankind, in his image. So here's our first building block. What does it mean to be made in something's image? Now I think a good modern example we all can relate to is, is toys. You know, we've all had toys as a kid. And like if you take a, a, a toy car, well, let's say I had, remember the old metal Tonka trucks. The ones they quit making now because if you got your finger in the wrong spot, it would pinch it. But if you looked at them and you compared it to what it was modeled after, they looked very similar. 
they have scaled down model cars that are actually done inch by inch and scaled down so everything's in the correct proportion and they are visually identical. And in most these situations, they actually can also perform the same task. I could take that little toy front end loader and I could push it into the dirt and I could pull the little levers and the bucket would come up with a, a bucket full of dirt and you could drive it over to the little Tonka dump truck and you could dump it into the back of it and the little dump truck could be pushed away and you could lift up the bucket. It did everything just like its big counterpart. It was made in its image. So we can conclude that being made in God's image would allow us to be able to do some of the things. Not only would we look a certain way, would we be able to function a certain way as well? Well, let's go one step further. Let's take a look at Jesus. Jesus God in the form of man, the Son of Man here on earth that was walking among us, doing the same things and experiencing the same things that we do. He was in that form. And we can look at his ministry and through a lot of part of his ministry, we see Jesus being hands-on. He laid hands on the sick. He touched the man's ear. He put mud over the blind guy's eyes. He, he did things. But you know, God does everything with purpose. And a lot of that because was for us, for our understanding. Because you take the, the woman that had the issue of the blood. You remember she had seen all the doctors and had tried all these things, and she decided that if I could only touch the hem of Jesus' garment, I could be healed. She had this really strong faith, and she connected it with that touch. And that shows us, you know, that's how we operate as humans. We need something tangible to hold on to. We need a little more because our faith is weak. But then we see another example where the, the soldier, the centurion, he comes to Jesus and he says, look, I got the servant and he's sick and, and I need you to heal him. And Jesus says, well, I'm going to come right away. And he's like, whoa, you don't have to do that because I know that when I give an order, people go and do. That it's, it's done. I don't have to be there personally to be able to, to do that. That is done through my authority. And I know that you have that authority to be able to do that from right here. And Jesus was astonished because this guy had faith. He had faith like he'd never seen before and he understood how that faith worked. So he healed the man right there on the spot from where he was. It was spoken into existence. He said he's healed. And even 
as we go through and we look at these different examples, Jesus interacted with these people orally. When the, the men carried the man that was crippled up to him, he told him, go and sin no more. And he got up and walked. There was communication, verbal communication, along with. The touch was something for us. And then, in arguably one of his grandest miracles, he went to see a fellow named Lazarus that had been placed in a tomb for three days. Three days he was dead. And in this situation, Jesus didn't enter the tomb. He didn't touch him. He simply said, Lazarus, arise. And when he spoke, he came out of that grave. And we know that because they had to cut him free of the burial shrouds that he was wrapped in. He was all tied up like a mummy. He couldn't have walked out on his own. He comes flying out of there by Jesus speaking. And then we look at what he did when he had to cast out demons, devils. He spoke to them. He told them to get out. And they had to obey. Everything was done by speaking. So then, Jesus tells us, you are going to do things such as I did, and also you're going to do things that were greater than what I did. We know that not only by accepting Jesus do we have salvation, but we have that whole salvation package. And part of that is that power. In Romans, it talks about that that same power that was used to pull Lazarus, that same power that rose Jesus from the grave, that we have access to that. We have access to the kingdom of heaven. So a logical person, I'm not saying now not even a, a faith-filled person, not even a believing person, I'm talking about just a logical person when provided with this evidence that I've given you this morning from the Word of God would show that our words have power. When we talk with God and He communicates back with us, that can be done in different ways. We can talk to God from inside. We have that spirit that resides in us that we can use to communicate with God. And we can do that without ever uttering a word. Because... God knows what is on our hearts. He knows what's in our minds. 
And we can communicate with Him like that without ever, ever saying a thing. And sometimes that's important because we don't want to tell Satan our plans. And see, Satan doesn't have that power. He cannot, he can put things in our minds, but he don't know what we're thinking. He don't know what's in our hearts. But the word does tell us what is in our hearts comes forward from our mouths. We talk about cursing. And for many of us, we think about the language that we use. We have a whole list of of words that we call curse words. We call it swearing. And I don't know when exactly we've made this switch, but it's something that has changed over time. Because a curse is something more than words, or it's words that contain power, that puts a negativity over a person. A swear or an oath is something that can put negativity over a person. And we're not going around trying to do that to others so much as we end up doing it to ourselves inadvertently. Now, it's really, really, and that's why I say today that this applies to everyone. Because we kind of can become accustomed to the way we talk. And we've talked about the uh, phrase I use as default negative. So as humans, we come to a point where we are thinking negative thoughts, we speak negatively as kind of our our default action. And we have to be very conscious to avoid doing that. The Word tells us to watch what our tongues do over and over again. And it also says to take control of our thoughts. And I believe that this is a primary reason why, because being in the flesh, being human, we tend to gravitate to a form of negativity. A negative way of thinking, a negative way of thinking. And it's funny because it happens so naturally that you you don't even think about it. I never really thought about how I speak until someone started to critique me a little bit. And it started out as when I first started preaching, I would get feedback from my, my mentors. And um, so they would make little, little notations and say, okay, well, it was good, but, but. And see, there's a word right there. And you have to, and it's something that I would use quite a bit. And I tried to constantly change from doing that because I was explained to that even though you make this grand piece of 
speaking here and you're laying down a point, you take that one little conjunction and you've done negated everything you just said. You've done laid down an exception to all the rules you've been putting down. And it's something that you can be conscious of and you can change. And my wife, she says to me sometimes, you are a public speaker, but sometimes it sounds like you have no education because of the way that you string words together. And you just need to think about sometimes how you're saying things. And also, too, is sometimes it's like, because we've talked about this before. This is not a, a new subject because it's in, it's all over the word. It's hard to avoid talking about the tongue. And it's like, did you just hear what came out of your mouth? And then you have to do that mental rewind and really think about what you said. And it's like, oh, yeah, I guess that wasn't too good. Because it's real easy to put that negativity back out there. And faith comes by hearing the word. So not only is it what our ears are hearing, is what we're saying to everyone else. And we really like to harp on the negative side of things. It's just human nature. It's just something we have to be conscious of and try to, to curve. I took some courses on, on counseling, and I've been through some counseling in, in different ways. And one thing they teach is, is about the use or the lack of use of certain words. They don't like you to use the word always. They don't like you to use the word never. Because for most people in most situations, things are not always or never. That's just, life is not that black and white. You know, when they, you have these little uh, reviews uh, they send to you, and they'll have all these little checkboxes. And it'll be on one end, it'll say always, and then sometimes, and then uh, there'll be, it'll be neutral in the middle, and then it goes, starts going the other direction, it'll be seldom, all the way down to never. And if we're really honest with ourselves, those in two boxes shouldn't be checked that much. Because even if we haven't done something to a certain point, it's likely to change. You know, we may go through our, our life up to a certain point and never like a certain food. And then all of a sudden we try it and it's the greatest thing ever because we change, our tastes change. We evolve over time. So you may say that I will never drive a Ford, but one day down the road, you might find yourself behind the wheel of one because we never know what our circumstances will be always or never. So it's important not to 
box ourselves in. And that's another thing that we'll do so much as a human. We got to have a, a label on everything. We got to have a reason for everything. And we have the inability to ever change it. We will stand on a hill and die for a certain subject and really have no real reason why we feel so strongly about it. So we walk around with this power. And what do we, we use it for? Someone says, how you doing? And we go into detail. Well, not doing too good today. My foot hurts. I just ache all over. And we leave it at that. Pain or discomfort can be a consuming force. Because it's always there. It's like a, an irritation. And it's just constantly buzzing around. It's constantly at the forefront of your thoughts. And when that happens, it tends just to spill out. So even when we're not prompt about it, we tend to talk about it. We tend to, to share it. And we'll go around. And, and how many of us how many of us talk to ourselves? Get up out of bed. Oh, man. Sure hurts today. And it's just not our health. It's, it's every aspect of the, of the negative aspects of our lives. Man, I'm broke. Man, if I only had money to do this, if I could only do that, if I could only... Travel. If I can, and we verbalize this stuff. We verbalize it to others. We verbalize it to ourselves, and we talk about all of this negative stuff in our lives. We just keep verbalizing it. I would be very curious if we kept a, a diary, and every time we said something negative, we wrote it down, and we, every time we said something positive, we wrote it down. What would that look like? How balanced would that be? Now, just based on what I hear in the world, I think it would be very unbalanced. We don't see have a lot of positive sharing. There's not a lot of praising God going on here. All we hear about is the lack, the suffering, the pain. And don't get me wrong, I'm guilty as the rest of you because it just happens so easily. And that's why I think this is such an important lesson. And not only that, and a lesson that we need to revisit many, many times. Because even if we can we'll start with it, it's real easy to fall back into old habits. But we go around and we talk about all of these, these negative things. So what's the solution? Should we not talk about it at all? See, this is where it gets complicated because no. We need to, it's not good to bottle things up. We need to be able to talk about the things that's troubling us. But if we go back to a past lesson about how we react to things, 
that comes into play with this as well. Because we need to be able to communicate with one another. God tells us to fellowship with fellow believers. That iron sharpens iron. We need to be able to know what's going on so we know not only to be able to pray for people, but to be able to pray for people in great detail with a specific purpose to have a need met. If we don't know what's going on with each other, then we can't do that. We need to verbalize with God what's going on in our lives so he can help us, that we can give him that authority to be able to allow access to the kingdom of heaven, to be able to receive from him. But we need to do it in the proper way. Now, we've talked about in the past, I feel like we keep going back, back, back. That's how this works. We build upon things. We learn stuff and we keep using it. Because that's how God intended us for us to do is to keep building and expanding and learning more. And the more that we learn, the more pieces of the puzzle we put together, the more better understanding we can have of the word of God and how to have a better quality of life. So we go back to the building blocks and we we think about how do we respond? How do we act? So we don't ignore the problem. We have to communicate the problem. So how do we do that in a in a positive way? Well, the first thing we have to do is back to what I was talking about. We have talked about before that when we pray, we have to pray in faith. That when we ask God for something, we should know, we should know that it's God's will. That this is something that God does. Because it is a good thing. Good gifts are from God. We should know because he's done it for others. If he does it for one, he will do it for others. That he doesn't pick and choose. He doesn't have favorites. It's all equal in God's eyes. We have past experiences. We take all of these things to know what God's will is. So we know that God will answer this prayer. Then the next thing we have to do is talk to God in a way that we know that he will answer this prayer. And what I mean by that is it's not a milly mouth half-hearted, leaving God a way out so we can cling to hope and not, and not be disappointed. We have to be all in, fully committed, fully persuaded, believing that God is going to take care of this. There are certain things we should just... No. If if you put a gallon of milk in your refrigerator the day before and the next day you want to get a bowl of cereal, you know 
that when you open the door, you're going to see a gallon of milk there. Because you put it there, it's there, no one took your milk, it's there. You know when you walk over to the light switch and you put it in the up position that the light's going to come on. Because it's done it every time that you've done that. And for some reason that light doesn't come on, you know there is a reason for it. The power is out. The bulb is blown. Something of that nature. And that it needs to take action to have that repaired. We should know when we ask God for something that his answer is yes. And we should live that way. By faith. So we talk to God about the problem. And then when we, before when we talked about that, about the prayer, it's like, so we get caught up in a situation where we're having to wait on God. And of course, it seems like God's never quite as quick as we want him to be. So we're having to wait for him to do what he needs to do. And sometimes this can take a very long time. So what do we do? Because we don't want to keep asking for the same stuff over and over again because what we're doing, we're just resetting the faith clock there because we're mentally thinking that he's not hearing us, he's not answering us, things ain't working fast enough. And, you know, we have that whole spiritual chicken effect where we're racing towards the problem and we're concerned about that. And we have all these things that derail us from our, our faith. So we have to praise God during this time. Thank you, Lord, that you're taking care of my problem. Thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you, Lord. And we can verbalize these same things too. Well, how are you doing today? Well, I'll be honest with you because people are genuinely concerned about your well-being. They want to know. All right, so how are you doing today? Well, my back's giving me trouble. But I've prayed about it, and I know that God's going to take care of the situation. Well, my back's giving me trouble, but you know what? I'm still up and moving around. God's grace is sufficient. My back's giving me trouble, but you know what? I'm up and I'm able to do things. He sees me through. See, we just got to add a little more to it. A little more to it. We have to make that, that conscious effort. And we can do that in, in every aspect. You know, when we're, we're disappointed, when we seem like we don't have what we need or what we want, and we're looking at these things, you know, well, my time may not be right now, but I know God's got something better for me down the road. Maybe God sees something that I don't see. He has all the answers. 
If he says no, then I have to take that as being in my best interest. We have to make that conscious decision. And that's going to do something. Everything God does has purpose. Everything God does has purpose. Even in the times when it seems like he's not paying attention, everything God does has purpose. So what are we doing in these situations? Now we're having to change the way that we think, change the way that we talk. What is that doing for us? Well, one thing is we are now speaking positivity, positive things into our life. We are using the power of our tongue and putting forward positive words, positives affirm it, positive thoughts. It builds faith. We're now talking about God. We're talking about the good things he does, the good things that he's going to do. We're praising him. Positive things. We are watering that seed of faith. You know, that's what we have here. We have that little mustard seed that Jesus talks about, that little little bit of faith. And we have that, and we can either water that and let that grow, or we can take the seeds that Satan puts in our ear, that you're, you're never going to get better, that the situation's never going to change, that you're never going to be happy, that you're never going to have what you want or what you need or whatever the case may be. And he's going to water that. And then what we do with our words and our thoughts is we're, we're cultivating it. We're making that grow. Going back to the building blocks again, everything's a choice. Choose the light, choose the dark, but everything has consequences. So it's whatever you decide to water is what's going to grow in your life. Then as we go out into the world and we're interacting and you're talking about, even though you're not doing too good, by the world standards, even though that you don't feel too good, your finances ain't that good, or whatever the case is, you're talking about how good things are on the horizon, how that you are being helped through, how God is on your side. And that really makes people think. Because, you know, when people complain... We don't think nothing of it. We come to expect it. We come to expect it. And it's, it's really sad that that's the way the world is. But I've been doing this for a number of years. And I have my other business that I've been doing for a number of years. And you always have to be prepared for the complaint. Prepared for what can go wrong. The person that's going to be unsatisfied for whatever reason. So much so that when someone 
gives you a compliment, it comes to a shock. When someone appreciates or, or goes above and beyond, it just really blows your mind. I remember the first time I got a tip. I was like astonished. I'm like, someone was so pleased with what I did that gave me something above and beyond. I still think about that today. The very first time, I was like, wow. Well, on the flip side, it's sad because we get beat down so much that we think that that is what is normal. But it's not. That's not normal. That's not the way God intended us to be. But not only can we be that positive influence for ourselves and we can be that for other people. We can do something positive for other people just by the way we speak. It's not easy. It's definitely a challenge. This is a five-star difficulty level. Extra hard. But it's also extra rewarding. Everything that is worthwhile takes effort. I want to broach one more subject before we, we end this, because I think it's important, because it's out there. So, I don't know who I'm, I'm talking to all to today. Sometimes, based on the subject matter, we see a real surge, especially on our online presence, about people checking in just to see, you know, the title catch them, or, or the subject matter, just something draws them in, and we'll see, see a surge, and I never know when that surge is going to be because we have our regulars, of course, and we appreciate each and every one of them. But when you have the, the, the ones that just check in once or twice or just something catches their eye. So it's not always a hardcore religious group. Sometimes we're talking to people that don't really have a strong or maybe no connection at all to God, but they're trying to learn something. So out there in the world, you might have heard something that sounds similar to this. And you might be thinking, oh, he's talking about manifestation. Because it's become real popular. A lot of these celebrities talk about how they manifest things. That what they've done is, is because of their positive thinking and they have use their power of positive thinking to make things happen in their lives. That is not God. That is demonic. Because see, this is the way this works. Everything that we talked about today only works if you have God backing it. All this power.
power that I talk about that we possess through Jesus Christ, there you go, through Jesus, is that only through Jesus. That we have to connect and commit and turn our lives over to Him to be able to receive that. And there's steps that we need to have. We need to have the faith to be able to access and operate that. We need to be able to do all these things through God. We have absolutely no power by ourselves. There is no such thing as a self-made person. We are either in the light or we're in the dark. You know, we see people that have grand amounts of success. Grand amounts of wealth. And they do nothing positive with it. Nothing positive with it. You can see what comes from their hearts what, by what they do. And they do nothing positive with it. And a lot of times we see nothing but negative aspects that is done with the success, the riches, the power. And they'll talk about how they did these things and how great they are and how we need to listen to them. And then we will. We will jump on the bandwagon of these people because we think that we can follow in their footsteps and we can accomplish these things too. Well, that's exactly what Satan wants you to think. Because we're nothing without God. So is it such a far step to think that Satan that wanted to place himself above God, that has a hatred for God's prized creation, that was banished from heaven, that for him and his fallen would allow people to gain success in lots of different forms for his benefit. Yes, that is exactly what I'm saying. If you are not God-made, you are Satan-made. So, all of the stuff that you think you've accomplished has either been given to you by God or it's been given to you by Satan. Who are you glorifying? Who are you glorifying? I think I might have talked about this before, but we'll bring it up again. That the 4% of billionaires, that one of them could take 
a very small percent of their fortune. And they could end hunger in the United States. They could end homelessness in the United States. Not only could they accomplish tasks like this that seem impossible to us, but they could do that. It wouldn't even affect them. That they have more wealth than humanly possible to burn through in a lifetime. And then the fact that they, they don't do it, the fact that they continue to use practices that are hard on their employees. They, uh, one company that falls in this category, their founder and CEO, they, employees are treated poorly. They're not allowed to take breaks. They are, if they have to go to the bathroom, they have to do it on their designated break time. Anything else, you're fired. You know, and to try to be more, to make more money than you'll ever spend. That you already have so much. And I always wondered why is it that if you have that kind of means, why is it that you wouldn't want to treat your employees so well that the incentive of working there was so grand that they wouldn't dare want to do anything to mess that up. That you had a pool of the best of the best because everybody wanted to work for you. It's little things like that that you can look at and see. Is that the way God operates? Or is that the way Satan operates? How about us? When we, when we speak, when we're putting things out there into the world, are we doing it in a way that is pleasing on the God or pleasing on the Satan? We have so many things that we battle in life, so many things that we're struggling with. How many times are we adding to our own struggle because we're watering the wrong seed? Challenge yourself. Just think about what we say, what we do, how we respond.